This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to episode 9 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're going back in our archive to 2014 where we had a hangout with Matt Hatch from Mosaic Church in Leeds. In this hangout, Matt talks about how we can create a culture of discipleship in our church plants. You can find this full hangout, including the Q&A that followed it and all of the notes at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 9. So without any further ado, here's Matt Hatch. Good evening, everyone. Really good to be here. Um, I hope this is a helpful um, time together. Uh, my uh, my background is uh, me and my wife planted Mosaic Church in Leeds about 10 years ago. Uh, we moved here and made the mistake of not bringing a team with us. So we uh, had a pretty slow and tough start to things, but uh, after a couple of years, we felt we just had enough momentum and people uh, to get something going, and we are now uh, a multi-site church, so we are in three gatherings across the city. Uh, We are now sort of planting a few churches and uh, feel pretty excited about I guess we're seeing some of the fruit of our hard work in terms of discipleship, community, and mission. And uh, I guess a particular passion of ours is discipleship, and I guess that's why I've been asked to uh, try and uh, shed some light on this topic of creating a culture of discipleship in the local church and in church planting. Um, in terms of like my story coming into this, the reason discipleship is such a big deal for me is that I was very fortunate enough when I came back to God when I was 21 and got filled with the Spirit, um, someone came alongside me and discipled me, and they did a great job uh, in terms of modelling what discipleship looks like. And they were very quick to get me discipling others. So very, very soon in, I was... I guess thrown in the deep end and asked us to crack on and learn on the job and that combination of early experiences combined with my sort of theological convictions helped me see that discipleship has got to be a core practice of any healthy church and discipleship is much broader than just seeing believers mature in Christ but also includes reaching those far from God they make disciples of all nations. It's not just about people becoming Christians, and it's not just about sanctification. But discipleship covers the whole breadth of that. And, and sadly, though, as I speak to church planters and church leaders, it's probably the thing that we feel least trained in and least good at. Uh, and it's like the central thing. It, sh- it should be our sweet spot. It should be the, the, the thing that we do as church family really, really well. But my general experience is it's the thing that we do the worst. And we don't really spend much time thinking about it, planning for it and making it happen. And I, um, uh, part of my role in the last few years has been to 
sort of coordinate church planting for the UK for New Frontiers before we separated into lots of different spheres. And so I had a lot of interaction with a lot of church planters and very, very few had a thought out plan for what discipleship would look like. And I guess most people just thought, I'm just focused on reaching a few people, getting a team together, and hopefully we'll tinker with our discipleship model when we get things going. And there wasn't much thought going into it. And I think that's a real mistake. And uh, I really hope that you guys, I guess, uh, capture some of sort of my passion for it, but also hope you see that it needs to be central in church planting. Mike Green, uh, he used to lead uh, St. Tom's in uh, Sheffield, which at one point was probably one of the largest churches in Europe. Uh, he uh, writes a lot about discipleship and discipleship culture. I've got a great quote for, from him here. He says this, there's a reason so many movements in the Western church have failed in the past century. They are a car without an engine. A missional church or a missional community or a missional small group is the new car that everyone is talking about right now. No matter how beautiful or shiny the vehicle without an engine, it won't go anywhere. So what's the engine of the church? The engine of the church is discipleship. So discipleship, it facilitates mission. So the basic understanding, guys, is that if you make disciples, you'll always get the church. But if you try and build the church just in terms of meetings, structures, then you'll rarely get disciples. If you're good at making disciples, you'll always have enough leaders. And if you disciple people well, you'll always have a people that are on mission. And obviously, we're commanded to make disciples. It's the first disciples understood this when they heard the initial call to go and make fishes of men. That's Mark 1. And the final call to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. So um, discipleship isn't the optional extra for those people that feel they're more pastoral, but rather when you see it's a core practice of who we are as the family of God. And as church planters, you guys need to really put some prayer and effort and energy into working out what discipleship looks like on the ground. So my plan is, next 20 minutes, I I guess I want to try and give you just a few things that hopefully will help you in trying to make some decisions as to what discipleship is going to look like. Um, so let me just dive straight in. Um, best place to start in having a church plant that majors on discipleship is be a disciple yourself. And there's two things I want to say about this. Um, number one, I want to talk about the art of paying attention. Um, I tell my kids all the time to pay attention. They're really bad at it. But paying attention, it sounds a very simple thing, but it's actually incredibly difficult. Most people are too busy doing to think about being. But our lives really matter to God. Psalm 139 shows God is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And life isn't just like a series of unrelated events. It's rather a journey that God is shaping and using for his glory. And so paying attention to the way God has shaped your life and is shaping your life is absolutely crucial to being a disciple. So the idea is we're not meant to be just passive spectators in life, letting life happen to us. 
but rather we're meant to be able to step back and see what God is doing. So I guess the, 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 the text that most influences my thinking on this is 1 Timothy 4, 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely or pay attention to your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Um, most people don't live with an awareness of what God is saying to them, what God is doing to them. And so they just live on the surface. And if you're to be a disciple, you just need to be able to pay attention to the work of God in your life. And the more you understand yourself and what God's doing, the more you'll be able to cooperate with what God's doing. And that has like been a general understanding of the spiritual life since Augustine. Augustine said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. So in other words, self-knowledge leads to a greater knowledge of God. So it's as basic as this. If you guys know what is happening in your lives, if you're paying attention to what God is doing, then you'll understand your motives, you'll understand your experiences, your reactions, your coping mechanisms, your struggles, your strongholds, and it will place you in a position of weakness and vulnerability, which means your hearts are open to God's healing power and transformation and the power of biblical truths and the work of the Holy Spirit to mould you into a more Christ-like person. And the perceived shallowness that I think we have in the church may be due to most of us knowing all the right answers, but failing to integrate those answers into the reality of our lives. So if we're going to truly disciple others, we've got to be disciples ourselves, and we've got to be disciples that pay attention to our stories, and we promote self-awareness, we promote emotional engagement. So that's my first question to you guys, is if you're serious about making disciples, how well do you know what's going on in your lives? Are you too busy doing, and you've forgotten about the being? Coupled with this, the second thing would be knowing your story. Knowing your story. There's three things that I guess you want to be working with yourself and with others on in terms of knowing your story. We need to know who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do. And so that as a general principle of what you're doing in discipleship is you're helping people answer those three massive questions. Who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do. So who God is, well, we put our faith in a person, not into outcomes or circumstances. We need to know the person that we're putting our trust in. An essential element to being a disciple is knowing God. And you know what? Out of all the church planters I speak to, the missionaries that are in tough situations, the thing that keeps people going in the long haul is their relationship with God and knowing God as a good God and faith in his trustworthiness and in his character. And so we've got to start in that place. The thing that will keep you going when stuff gets hard is knowing God stop and so that's where we start with others is how well do they know God how do we lead them into a greater knowledge of God the second part of knowing your story is knowing who you are and knowing your story God's work in your life and I guess I mean there's so much I could say about this but um, let me put it like this um, um, your spiritual health is directly connected to your emotional health 
Now, this is, in our family of churches, I, I feel like this is an area that we've never really had a serious conversation about. Um, I've spoken to pastors about their emotional health before, and some of the responses I've got back are things like, we don't do emotions. Emotions are dangerous. We don't go near them because they'll lead you astray. It's all about putting your trust in God and cracking on. And uh, God's given us our emotions. They're good things. They're godly things. And they're things, uh, emotions are there to be redeemed and renewed. And most of us have got um, stuff that's happened to us in the past that means we don't express our emotions or deal with our emotions in perhaps the way God intends us to. And for us and for the people that we're working with to be spiritually mature, we must be equipped to help them be emotionally mature. And knowing their story, just knowing their past, knowing the major stuff that's happened to them, good and bad, and how that fits to where they're at now and what God needs to do in their lives to set them free is absolutely crucial. And, and my experience over the last 20 years, I've really given myself to discipling people, is that there's a whole load of issues that present themselves on the surface. Things like fear or shame or anger or pain or rejection or insecurity, whatever it might be, they all present themselves on the surface. And we generally spend most of our time trying to deal with those things and make people more godly. Like, for example, handle their anger better. But we never actually get to the heart of the issue. They're all surface presenting issues. Where we need to go, as Jesus would want us to go, is to the heart, because that's where true transformation happens. And uh, if you don't know your story, if you don't know, if you can't put together the pieces of your life, then you're never really going to get to the heart of the matter. You can just always stay on the surface. And so those two elements, um, I think, are absolutely crucial in being a disciple for us. It's paying attention to what God's doing and knowing your story. So who God is, who we are, and then that shifts into what we're called to do. So our passions, our gifts, our opportunities, and God's calling in our life. And that's where I love to get to when I'm discipling someone, is, okay, we're now in a great place to work out how you serve in the church, how you serve in the world and how you join God on his mission. Um, so that's just the starter. Um, be a disciple, pay attention and know your story. Second thing I want to just talk about quickly, really quickly actually, is um, if you're going to be a good discipler, you need to know how God changes people. And again, this is something that my guess is most of us have got a pretty good idea how God changes our lives but perhaps we've not thought about it in a systematic way. We've not like pulled all the different pieces together. So what I want to do now is just basically give you six main ways God uses to sanctify us. And uh, I'm going to have to be quick. So here's what they are. Number one is faith and repentance. So Jesus announces Mark 1, 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. The Christian life starts with faith and repentance, but doesn't stop at conversion. All of life is faith and repentance. We must root out unbelief and cynicism and place our full confidence and trust in Jesus and the promises of Scripture. And a failure 
in holiness is nearly always down to a failure to believe. So repentance and faith. Repentance is turning away from what's bad for us and holding on to what's good. And faith is all about believing in God and trusting in him. And I guess in our language in Mosaic, um, over the years, we have, we talk a lot about the lies that we believe and the truth we need to believe. And so key discipleship moment is helping people understand what lies are they believing about God and the gospel and what truths do they need to fight with about God and the gospel. And... Uh, allowing Christ to have lordship over those areas of our lives. So faith and repentance. Secondly, sowing to the Spirit. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says this, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So another major method of sanctification is sown to the spirit rather than to the flesh. And so this involves obeying the Holy Spirit and cultivating a relationship with God. And holiness comes as a harvest because we've repeatedly sown in the right places. So we've done those thousand or so small acts of obedience, which leads to change in the long run. So if we believe God is good, then obedience is always a delight. You know, obedience is God's love language. And many of us um, that want breakthrough, that want change, we're stuck because we're just doing the same thing over and over again. For a lot of people, uh, they're one obedience away from the breakthrough. Like God's spoken and they've ignored him. And so a lot of what we're doing to start with Chip is helping people hear from God and then step out in obedience, trusting that obedience is a delight because God knows best. Okay, whizzing through these. Number three, God's discipline. It's the third way God loves to change us. Hebrews 12, verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So the purpose of the father's discipline is to provide a crucible for transformation that's ultimately for our good. So stuff comes our way that God loves to use for the good. It was intended for evil, but God uses it for the good. So a massive element to this is um, to do with uh, transitions. So uh, I may come back to this if anyone's interested in this. Um, but um, we, um, uh, we talk a lot about this. Excuse me, my son has just come in. Um, sorry about that, everyone. I've got three kids that are all being looked after in another room. So I'm and a, a crazy dog. So I'm hoping we'll survive without one coming in. Um, so transitions. Um, uh, this is uh, transitions are absolutely crucial in understanding God's discipline of us. So as anyone grows in leadership there will be transitional times or watershed moments where you move from one thing to the next. So the general principle is God loves to prepare the leaders that he uses. And you take all the biblical characters, you see that God takes them from one thing to the next. There's obedience tests, there's integrity tests, there's development of the leader's character, and then there's 
a release into calling, then there's new authority, then there's new opportunities. But often there are moments between the, the person growing and the opportunity coming. Moments where God is at work, but they can often be very difficult times. So I'm thinking Jonah in the belly of the whale, or Joseph in prison, or it may be Jesus uh, in the desert. Those moments where uh, God seems like he's disappeared, but really he's deeply at work in the life of the leader or the person. And I guess what uh, people call these transition points are liminal spaces. And limina is a Latin word meaning threshold. And so there's a threshold around the door. So when you go from one room into the next, you have to cross through the threshold. And there's a point where you're neither in one room or the other, but you're in between the rooms. There's a transition moment. You're in a liminal space. And uh, liminal spaces are frustrating and exhilarating. They can, I don't know, they can be very disorientating. There can be a lot of brokenness. There can be a lot of refinement. There can be a lot of waiting. It feels like a crucible of change, like you're just waiting. God, I need the next thing, or I don't know what to do next, or I'm stuck. You're not letting me push forward. And But actually, God is massively at work. And the two things he wants to do in a transition moment is greater brokenness and a desire to surrender your life. And he is waiting for you to humble yourself, to acknowledge the fact that you bring nothing to the table, and he's wanting a surrendered life in those moments. It's the Father's discipline. It's God disciplining you like, as a loving Father. He's treating you as sons and daughters. And in my personal experiences, a lot of people just don't understand that, you know, they want an outcome, they want to move on, they want God to speak, but actually God wants to keep them in that this place, which can sometimes last a few years for them to learn the lessons. Um, the idea is John 12, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. God is wanting to apply that sense of us surrendering to God in those times. And they can be a delight, but most of us wrestle and don't want to be in them. And so God disciplines us as a loving father. Uh, fourthly, um, identity in Christ. Obviously, when we become a Christian, a radical rebirth occurs, and discipleship involves lining our lives up with our new identity in Christ. And I, I don't want to spend long on this, because as a family of churches, I think we know a lot about, or we've spent a lot of time teaching into who we are in Jesus. And if I was to summarize it, in Jesus, we're people of the age of the Spirit. So we're immersed, filled, and refilled in the Spirit. And it's in the spirit that God changes us, breaks in and transforms us. Secondly, we're a new temple of God. We're the new Israel of God. We're a new family and tribe. So we're built on Christ and built together. And that is transformative because we're the people of God. And so much of the epistles speak to us as a people. We're the new temple of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the living temple. Thirdly, all under this, we're in Christ. Uh, we're a new people under grace, not law. 
0.16% sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. So if you're strong in grace, you'll be strong in holiness. You won't be subject to, to legalism or licentiousness. The strength in grace means that you can embrace uh, the spiritual disciplines, the change process, because you're not doing it to earn anything. Uh, grace is not opposed to, uh, to effort, it's opposed to earning. So we can put effort into our relationship with God because we're secure in the fact that he accepts us, he loves us, that everything is done for us in Christ. Fourthly, we've got power over sin, death, and the law. We're not in Adam, but we're now in Christ. In Christ, we not only have one who sympathizes with our weaknesses, but we want, have one that gives us power to overcome temptation. Uh, fifthly, all, this is all of what we are in Christ. We've been given a new nature, new identity. So we've, died, we've died, and we've now been raised with Christ. We've been born again. We've been given a new DNA, a new nature, a new way of doing life. We're sons. And uh, I think it's a very um, popular teaching at the moment. It's the father heart of God. It's uh, a thing that I think is going, that, that God's just using in these last uh, few years of bringing a fresh emphasis on knowing the father. And that is our identity. And uh, I think fifthly and lastly, uh, we're an es eschatological people. In other words, we have this hope that the earth will be renewed and restored at the end of history. And that gives us great security and ability to endure suffering now because our hope is actually placed in the kingdom coming in its fullness in the age to come. So, man, we've covered loads of ground there, but the whole idea is God teaches us who we are in Christ, and that is a fundamental aspect of discipleship. Fifthly, they were going through tools that God uses to train us. Fifthly, identifying replacing idols. So the truth is, if the gospel does not take your breath away, something else will. And those things that we worship are called idols. They're not carved statues, but they're self-erected idols of power or success or control or approval or security or comfort. And Understanding how idolatry works in the human heart, again, is just a great tool in discipleship because it stops you dealing with the fruit of sin. It helps you deal with the root of sin. So, for example, I counsel so many men who struggle with lust, struggle with going to stuff they know they shouldn't. Um, the fruit of their sin is always to do with where they look or the websites they go to or the people they hang out with or the places they go to but just trying to discipline and deal with those things never deals with the root of the issue and the root of the issue nearly always is to do with intimacy it's a, it's a desire for satisfaction and joy and it's just that often guys take the, the quick and easy route to intimacy and joy through lust and they will never, ever deal with their issues of lust unless they deal with the heart and they need the intimacy. The idea is, um, how do you take a toy from a child? Well, you give them a better toy. You give them something better. And discipleship is helping people let go of the stuff they give their worship to in order for them to get God. He's the best thing that we could ever... That it's, it's, he's who we're built for. He's, he's who we're built to worship. And sixthly and lastly, in terms of these tools that God uses, are the spiritual disciplines, spiritual activities that 
Jesus practiced to become the man that he was that are available to us to use in order to uh, be a means of grace, a way of receiving more of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, which is the very thing that changes us. And so understanding the spiritual disciplines, the key element of this is finding the right disciplines at the right time. So I spend a lot of my time with people working out who's the person God's wanting you to be and what disciplines can you use to become that person. And we can talk about that if you want to, but I think that is a key aspect of the spiritual disciplines, things like prayer or Bible memorization or worship or Bible study or fasting. All those things God loves to use to change us and get us under uh, the waterfall of grace that flows from heaven, which is the thing that changes us. So God, those six things, those six categories, I think we need to be familiar with those things. We need to understand that they're the ways God uses to change us. And the better you're familiar with them, the more you'll be able to help people cooperate with what God's doing in their lives. So let me finish with this because uh, we're nearly out of time. In a church plant, if, you, if you're being a disciple, you're off to a great start. If you're understanding the tools that, or the ways that God uses to change people, again, that's a massive, massive um, head start. If, if, if I was church planting today and wanted to develop this culture of church planting, there's a couple of little things that I would definitely make sure I, I did. Number one, I'd start with people that are open to change, not just the leaders. So you want to find people that really want to move on with God. Because everything's starting up from scratch. And you want to have some massive wins for the community. You want people to see that Jesus is at work sanctifying lives. And so I'm looking for really good soil. I'm looking for people that are open and hungry. And I don't mind if their lives are a mess. I don't mind if they're not going to be this amazing leader. I'm much more interested if they're open and want some help, and want some input, and are willing to give everything they are to embrace the change process. So that's a great question to ask yourselves. Who is around you that's hungry for change, that's open to change? Secondly, I would start as soon as possible. Whatever you want to do with these people, start doing it. Don't wait till you're a certain size. Don't wait um, until you've got other structures in place. Start as soon as possible because discipleship is always slow and deep. You can't just change people in a moment. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes prayer. It takes patience. And so it's worth starting early on. Uh, don't be disappointed if lives don't change as quick as you want. Jesus said the seed of the gospel will find different types of soil, but only one in four produces that multiplication, that real change. And that would definitely break our experience in church planting and now as an established church, is that we try and invest in everyone but we will find that there's different return on that investment. And in the church part, it can be quite discouraging if you're feeling like I'm putting loads of energy in and not much seems to be happening. You need to understand the principle. I mean, one in four, according to Jesus, the seed of the gospel, we really bear fruit in, in that multiplication, transformational sort of way. Um, be super, super intentional 
if you want a culture of discipleship. So you get a culture, which is, I guess, culture is something people do without thinking. It's what's expected and assumed in a, in a, in a, in a group. And to get a culture, you need to keep on investing in it to create it. Culture happens through vision, values, and language over time. So you've got to hit those three things, vision for discipleship, the value of discipleship, and then the language of discipleship, again and again and again, if you're going to see it happen in the church plant. And so if you don't, you will have a culture in your church, but it will probably not be the culture that you want. So cultures form wherever people gather. If you're, if you're, if you're serious about discipleship in the church plant, then you've got to really go for it. And there might be some people that don't get it. There might be some people that think you're being a bit too focused on it. But it's the only way to if you want to define your culture. And lastly, I would say that you need to think about discipleship happening at the different levels um, or, or uh, I guess, the sizes in your church. Plan. It depends how big you are. But in Mosaic, we think of it like this. We think, how does discipleship work for the person on their own, in their devotional lives, in their obedience to God? How do we support someone being a disciple themselves? Secondly, groups of twos and threes. There's got to be an intimate space for people to talk about what's going on in their lives. And it doesn't really matter how you end up structuring that, but you will never have any depth of community if you don't have the smaller size, the twos and threes and fours, for people to share openly and You will get, it's very rare, you'll get a small group between eight and 12 people that shares on the slip. It's, it's, it's just too many people in the room. There's too many people that don't know each other. It's very rare things. You need a smaller space, two or three people. You then have got the small group size, 4 to 12. What does discipleship look like for that? And my, just off the cuff, what I would say to you is, I think our classic house group model is perfectly designed for us not to have any discipleship. So it might be a little bit controversial, but groups of 4 to 12 people in the classic house group model are usually brilliant for community. I think very little discipleship happens. We can talk about that. And then Sundays, if you're gonna if you're at Sundays yet, or if you move into Sundays, what's discipleship look like at that level? And then um, and then you can go from there. And for us now it's multiple congregations because we're sort of a multi-site model. So they're questions you need some answers to. What does discipleship look like for the individual? And then those different sizes, twos and threes, fours and twelves, and then the bigger games. Well, we hope you found what Matt had to say useful. Just to remind you, you can get the full notes on this hangout as well as the Q&A that followed it at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode nine. And if you go to thebroadcastnetwork.org, you can also see our other hangouts, all the rest of our church plants and resources, and you can sign up with your email address and we can let you know about all the hangouts that will be coming up in the future.